It is an amazing thing, the way that Jesus Christ came and the one who gave birth needed him to be her savior. What an amazing thing. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. I'm speaking this morning on worshiping the Christ of Christmas. Worshiping the Christ of Christmas, the antidote to worldliness. Worshiping the Christ of Christmas is the antidote to worldliness. Now, you know, a lot of people are going to be talking about the birth of Christ this month, and praise God for that. Even when they're wrong, I'm thankful that Christ is being remembered. Aren't you? And how many of you, now you don't have to answer this, but I know that many people they kind of resent the materialism of Christmas. And I think the answer for that is for you to buy gifts for me. Well, not the answer. No, I I am going to, uh, to address that as one of my points this morning. But how many of you know that people, they really have wrong views of who Jesus is? Not who Jesus was, because Jesus is. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So what I want us to do is I want us to look at the Christ who came at Christmas and why he came. And we don't have to guess. We're going to look at why Jesus Christ came. But I want to make some comments before we get to the scriptures. And one of the things that we are bumping up against in modern Christianity is this this concept of community. And any group that pulls itself together for any reason, they can call themselves a community. You know, so I could start the short, smart aleck community. Right? It doesn't matter how you identify, you can call yourself a community. And people try and take that terminology and apply it to the church. The problem is we're not allowed to, um, to make the church the way that we want to make it. The church belongs to Christ. As a matter of fact, you can put a ribbon here in Matthew 5. We're going to come back. But look at Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and look at verse 18. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 18 says, And he is the head of the body, the church. All right, so who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ is. So, Colossians 1.18, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. You know what that means? We don't matter. We just don't matter. Our opinions on what the church ought to be do not matter. If he is our Lord, then we are submitting to his lordship, especially in the church. Amen? And yet a lot of people have their own ideas of what Jesus Christ would do or be or say. And it'll be good for us to find out what the Bible actually says about that. There was a battle 100 years ago over the inerrancy of Scripture. The inerrancy of Scripture. That means that the Bible is without error. Now, some of the statements actually limited that statement to the original autographs. Okay, so the original autographs, that's where Paul wrote, or Paul had a a secretary write his words down. 
And so the, for many people, that meaning of inerrancy, that applies only to that original document. And then through the copies, there may be errors, all right? So, so if you say, I believe the, the Bible is inspired in the original autographs, and that's the end of your statement, what you're saying is, I believe in nothing because they no longer exist. How many of you get the logic of that? Okay? And yet, in broader Christianity, the battle over inerrancy among evangelicals, that battle was won. So now, if a, if a person in evangelicalism says, I do not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture, that person will be deplatformed among evangelicals because one of the key tenets of evangelicalism is the proclamation that we believe the Bible is without error. Amen? That, that's what we believe. And so we won the battle of the... Listen to what I'm saying here. Very important. And I'm going to do everything I can to keep your attention, but you're going to have to listen on purpose today. Okay? And you might want to make some notes today to talk with your friends. And you're going to want to share this message over the Internet as often as you can. All right? So we're making a statement today that's vital. We won the battle of the language. But we didn't win the battle in practice. In other words, someone may say, I am deeply committed to inerrancy. Then they dismiss the authority of Scripture in their practice. So a Christian organization can say, yes, I'm deeply committed to the inerrancy of Scripture, but I don't really believe the Bible teaches that. You see, how many of you understand what I'm talking about here? And don't worry, I'll get specific in a minute. Okay? So we won the battle over the language. I believe in biblical inerrancy. And of course, if you know anything about the church history of the last, say, 120 years. This was the fundamentalist modernist controversy, okay? And if you don't know what that is, it's probably good. So uh, uh, this is a really important concept for you to get. Biblical authority is undermined not just by bad theology, because most of you don't really know theology, because that's not your field. That's my field. Or someone who's teaching in a Bible college, that's their field. Most of you don't know systematic theology, but you know what the Bible says. Amen? How many of you know Jesus Christ died for sinners? Okay, that's theology. So, bad theology is bad. But having a good statement of faith and bad practice is worse because it's deceptive. So biblical authority is undermined not just by bad theology, but by modernity. The modern world and allowing the modern world to come into our thinking. And we as Americans, we might be the most susceptible to this because of our consumerism. Now, it's an awesome thing to be able to walk into the grocery store and have a lot of choices. And of course, recently we found out what it's like not to have some of those choices, and it's a bummer. But, you know, you can go and you can, there, there are 15 different kinds of mustard. Right? And that's cool, because I like all different kinds of mustard. It's awesome. I, I, I like having different choices of coffee. So I open my drawer where, where Laura keeps my coffee pods. And I can decide, do I want strong or do I want really strong or do I want peel the paint? I can decide which coffee I want that morning. 
And I enjoy having that choice. And if I'm being honest, I'm a little frustrated when I don't have all of those choices. And whatever it is, all of us, how many, honestly, be honest, you enjoy those kinds of choices in your life. And that's the blessing of God on our nation. Let's be honest. Having these kinds of choices because of the way that God has blessed us financially and creatively, that's a blessing. I am not for the removal of options in consumer life. That's not what I'm advocating today. The problem comes when we want to bring that, that attitude of consumerism to Christianity, to the church, to doctrine. So what happened is everything has become a matter of choice or preference. When you apply that to theology, this becomes a very dangerous thing, and it's much more dangerous than liberal theology. Liberalism captured the intelligentsia. So it's like in the secular universities, if you go in saying that you hold a biblical biblical worldview, they won't hire you, right? And that's the same thing that happened in the seminaries, that every seminary in the world was influenced by this, this bad liberal theology. And honestly, many of the churches rejected that and have stood strong. Praise God for that. I'm very thankful for that. But what has happened, what what this liberalism could not do, materialism has done, consumerism has done what liberalism never could. And we must understand how this consumerism has affected us. Is this the weirdest Christmas sermon you've ever heard? Because here's what happens. When, when I say I am deeply committed to biblical inerrancy, but then don't live that out, here is the formula. And I think it may have been Os Guinness who said this, that faith becomes privately engaging, but publicly irrelevant. So my faith is deeply meaningful to me, but I can't impose that in my life out in the world. What's the perfect analogy of that? How many of you know that Joe Biden, as a Catholic, is deeply committed to life? How is that working out in his public policy? How many of you notice an inconsistency there? Okay, I doubt that. Well, let me keep going. Patrick, don't distract me. So faith becomes privately engaging and publicly irrelevant. And this is fed by our consumerist idea of ministry. So I want to talk about the scandal of the American church or the scandal of American Christianity. So you know that Christianity is being diminished all around the world. How many of you know that? But in the United States, nominal Christians, those who would call themselves Christian, you know we're still the majority. It doesn't feel that way, does it? But we are the majority. Those who, who claim to be Christian are still the majority in the United States. And yet, we have less cultural influence than tiny groups. Let me give you an example. So Jewish Americans are about 2% of our population. And yet they have a huge influence over the culture. 
Anti-Semitism is, if someone is called an anti-Semite, they are in big trouble unless it's Ilhan Omar. Right? And she takes brotherly love to a whole new level. But anyway, another conversation. The LGBTQ community, which I don't even know what all those words mean, the sodomites. Um, less than 2% of the population. But it's difficult to find a television show where they don't have influence. Now even television commercials. So, if we are the majority in the country, why are we having less and less cultural influence? Is that a good question to ask? Especially at Christmas time. Why is that? Because we are worldly. And we are not, our, our ministry, our, our life in the world outside of these walls is not shaped by the gospel. It's not shaped by worship of our Lord. That's a heavy statement, isn't it? Why are we having less and less cultural influence? Because we have made peace with the world when we ought to be at war. Now, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but spiritual. This is a spiritual war. It's not a, it, it, it's not a kinetic war. It's not a, a war of, of swords and, and guns and knives. That, that's not the war. It's a war of ideas. It's a war of stand. It's a war of conviction. And yet, we have been cowed by the world. We have made peace with modernity. And there are three ways to confront it. There is to fight. But the problem is, for evangelical Christianity, the fight has become a political fight. And the first thing that we can say about politics is that politics is not the first thing. And yet, as Christians, we can, we can put so much time and effort into politics that it becomes, that's the way that we're going to fight. And yet, that's not the way that God has told us to fight. Now, as, as Americans, it's a little bit different for us because we live in a constitutional republic, and as Christians, it's our responsibility to be involved in politics. Amen? But that's not our first responsibility. Our first responsibility is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ and to live out our faith, bringing glory to him. That's our first responsibility. That has to be first. And so the, the first response of fight is okay if you're fighting spiritually as opposed to fighting politically alone. There's another group, and that's, that's flight, and that's where we just say, well, we're going to separate completely from the world. We're not going to be involved in politics. If they're going to cheat, we're not going to vote. We're not going to be a part of anything. We're not going to be involved in, in the culture. We're not going to take a stand. Well, that's not biblical. You know, how can we, you know, let, let's all move and let's build a compound in Montana and get as many guns as we can and keep the world out. And I know some of you would vote for that right now. I know you would. Where's Dave Spicer when I need him? Now listen, how can we be the light? How can, you know, we have that treasure in earthen vessels. How can we be that if we're hidden behind walls? Amen? So that's not the right answer. What is the right answer? It's learning how to fight faithfully in this modern age. 
Now, learning how to fight faithfully in this modern age might be that we have to fight differently than we have in the past. And this is something that I am confronting personally. I talked about it in the Sunday school hour. Um, you know, I came up in, with the, the hellfire and brimstone, spitting, screaming, jumping around, preaching. And if I'm being honest, I still like that. And yet, that, that's caricatured in our modern culture. And so the question that I have to ask myself is, is that form of delivery necessary in order to stand for the truth? And I'll say this, probably not, but sometimes it just is, like last week. And yet, I understand how that appears to the young, to the modern culture, especially when there are a lot of really abusive preachers who have used that form of communication. So, those are some questions. How are we going to fight faithfully in a way that is effective in today's society? And those are things that we need to wrestle with and consider. Amen? Those, those are things. The Bible says, let not your good be evil spoken of. And so we have to consider, and the thought that I've had is Bobby Knight can't coach anymore. You know, Woody Hayes could, couldn't coach anymore. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And so we, gotta, we have to consider these kinds of things. And yet, we don't stop fighting because the world doesn't like us. The world is not going to like us. Look at John chapter 17 with me. John chapter 17 and verse 14. Now, you know that this is where Jesus Christ has come to the end of his earthly ministry. He's getting ready to go to the cross. He's praying to the Father for his disciples. And now look at what it says. He's also praying for us. Um, and we're not time to go there, but he says, I, I, I pray not for these alone, but for all them who believe through their word. But look at what it says in verse 14. I have given them, this is Jesus, the Son, praying to God the Father. I have given them thy word, and the world hath accepted them. The world hath loved them. The world hath respected them. What, what, what does the Bible actually say? I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So the question that we have to ask ourselves as Grace Baptist Church the question that we have to ask ourselves is, are we of Christ or are we of the world? And understand that in the coming months, years, decades, it's not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. So how are we to worship Christ and represent Christ? How are we to be Christian in an anti-Christian culture? How are we going to do it? Well, we need, we need a new way of ministry. But it's not really new. It will seem new to the world, but it's very simple. Number one, we've got to have a clear testimony of salvation. Any of you here born again? I haven't asked you yet. You know Jesus Christ is your Savior? How many of you know for sure if you died today you'd go to heaven? You know 100% sure that heaven is your home. 
That's where it has to start. And if you're here today and you're not sure of that, let us take the Bible and show you. Man, the joy, the confidence, the assurance that we have because Jesus Christ is our Savior. Let there never be any doubt whether or not you're born again. When I do funerals and and you have the casket, the saddest thing you can do to your family is have them walk by your casket and not know where you are. If you're saved at Christmas time, when your family gets together, tell your whole family that you are saved and that you know for sure that heaven is your home. So the first thing that we have to have in order to be Christian is to have a testimony, a clear testimony of salvation. Then number two, we must be clear about the world and the challenges we face. All that's in the world is not of God, it's of the world. Now, now what does the word all mean? All. All means all, and that's all that all means. All human wisdom is evil. All human uh, machinations are evil. They have to be because they're made of humans, <laughs> and humans are evil. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none that doeth good. There's none righteous, no, not one. What do you think none means? Yeah, the, the world is full of sinners, and we have to stop making peace with sin. Now, we love people. We're gracious and kind to people, but we never make excuses for their sin or ours. So number one, have a clear testimony of salvation. But not only a clear testimony of salvation, but a commitment to to the Lord as Lord. Uh, Men, how many of you are married? So your wife is your wife, right? So that means you should treat her as your wife. In other words... When I said yes to Laura, I said no to the rest of the women in the world. And there was much weeping and gnashing of teeth. (laughs) Probably not. (laughs) None of you can believe one took me, right? But, But that's, when I chose Laura as my wife, I rejected every other woman. Are y'all with me on that? When I accept Jesus Christ as Lord... No one else is. Not any government, not any political system, not any social structure, not any business, not any institution, not any church. Jesus is my Lord. So, number one, I need a clear testimony of salvation and commitment to the Lord as Lord. I have to be clear about the world and the challenges I face. And then I have to be clear about what I am called to do. I am called to represent Christ in the world. That's my job. I'm supposed to be shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I'm supposed to walk out, according to Ephesians 6, I walk out into the world every day representing Christ and presenting the gospel. That is my mandate. That is my mission. That's what I'm called to do. But if our fighting has been almost exclusively political... We have to change. It has to be about Jesus. The first thing to say about politics is that politics is not the first thing. So what's the answer? Number one, know God. Number two, know his word. Number three, live his way. Number four, pray. Number five, evangelism. Number six, discipleship. That's our job. That's what we are to do. Amen? Let me say it again. Know God. Know his word. Live his way. Pray. Evangelize. And make disciples. And here's the thing. We know this statement. This is a popular statement. I know that a guy named Breitbart said it. But he said that politics is downstream from culture. I don't know that he's the first person to say it. But we have to understand, if politics is downstream from culture, culture is downstream from worship. 
Culture is downstream from worship. So if the culture is made up of people, the group of people, then the culture reflects what we are worshiping. So what do you think our culture worships? Not Jesus. So then the question becomes, how are we affected by the culture and how do we look in the culture? Do we look different? And we don't want to look different. You know, green hair notwithstanding. We don't want to look different. Amen? And yet we have to be different. There has to be a different, a difference. Os Guinness was asked about... I saw an interview with him, and, and he was asked about this transgenderism. What's a Christian response to transgenderism? Listen to what he said. There is no end to the inventiveness of human stupidity and folly. Do you think he's afraid of what people think of him? Let me say it again. There is no end to the inventiveness of human stupidity and folly. This is a madness that we address with the sanity of the gospel. I just want to read that again. I'm going to get a tattoo of this, I think, (laughs) to fit in with the culture. There is... There is no end to the inventiveness of human stupidity and folly. This is a madness that we address with the sanity of the gospel. This fever is not going to break apart. I'm sorry, this fever is not going to break apart from repentance. And repentance begins with seeing that it is a fever. So let's address this. Go with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. Let's put Christ back into Christmas. A Christian is a follower of Christ. How many think that's a pretty good definition? A Christian is a follower of Christ. And so here in Sydney, we have a Christian school nominally Christian. It's called Christian Academy School. And they call themselves a Christian school. I mean, if you're familiar with the institution. Well, I mentioned last week, I addressed it this week, our people have been dealing with it because we have a lot of uh, families in our church that um, their their children are students there. We have uh, many people from our church who are employed by the school as teachers, coaches, Um. And many of them have resigned this week, and the parents, many of the parents, are pulling their children from the school. And the reason for that is, at an alumni basketball game, the uh, the school board, the school superintendent, overriding the decision of Chad Inman, the godly athletic director, pastor of Faith Baptist Church here in town, um, they overrode him. They overrode the female, the, the, the ladies' basketball coach and um, allowed an openly transgender girl to play in the basketball game. She had, she, so now she says she's, she's a guy. I think her name's Allie. She calls herself Alex now. 
She had Alex on her jersey. She um, just physically, you know, uh, the whole the whole thing: armpit hair, hairy legs, rainbow socks, and um, friends of the same persuasion, dressed the same way in the crowd, openly defying biblical righteousness and making a stand for immorality among Christians. Now, let me be very clear. I don't know whether Allie's saved or not. I hope she is. If she's not, my prayer for her is that she will repent, come to Christ as Savior. Amen? That's our desire. According to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there were in the church people who were of that sin, and they got saved. That's our desire. That's our goal. And so, because it was an open display of immorality and an affront and honestly an offense to the children, how many of you know that that's, that that's dangerous for children to be around? And what did Jesus say about someone that would offend a child? It'd be better that a millstone would be tied about their neck and they'd be cast in the sea. So, I hope that the board of Christian Academy School will hear this. It would be better for a millstone to be tied about your neck and for you to be cast in the sea. You offended those kids. You have a job to protect them, and you willingly chose to expose them to abomination. You may be saved. I don't know whether or not you people are born again. You may be. I hope you are. But you are not Christian. And we're going to define that right now through the words of Jesus Christ. If, if worshiping the Christ of Christmas is the antidote to worldliness, then the Christian school needs a good dose of Jesus. So let's give them that today. Matthew chapter 5, and look at verse 17. Why did Jesus... We're going to look at the places where Jesus said why he came. Think not that I am come, Matthew five seventeen. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am come, or I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Jesus Christ did not come to say that the moral law of the Old Testament was done away with. Jesus Christ came to fulfill that, and he has not changed his mind on sodomy. He came to fulfill the law. Look at Luke chapter 12. And get your Bibles handy. We're going to be going through the Scriptures. If you don't have a Bible with you, look at the under the chair in front of you. There'll be a Bible provided for you. Luke chapter 12 and verse 51. And I do want to say this. If you're a guest with us today, um, I know that this is unusual to, to walk into a setting like this. But I'm the pastor of this church. And one of my jobs, basically the, the definition of pastor is to, to feed and protect the flock. To feed and protect. So I'm try, I, I try to feed doctrinally. That, that's, that's my job. Right now, I am protecting and defending our people who have had interaction with the Christian school. 
because the Christian school sent out a letter saying that, that there are rumors being spread as if what we are saying are rumors. All right, so let me deal with this very plainly. It's not a rumor that they allowed a sodomite to openly defy biblical Christianity in the, uh, in the ball game. Number two, it's not a rumor that they overruled the athletic director. It's what happened. It's not a rumor that they have chosen that lifestyle and the defense of it over all of the godly people from Grace Baptist Church, from Faith Baptist Church, and others who have, listen, resigned over it. Rather, here, here's all that, this is all that would have needed to happen. Send out a letter saying, we made a mistake by allowing this to happen. We made a bad decision. That's all it would have taken. How many of you would accept that? We all would. And I think they made the mistake for a good reason. They were trying to be loving. We're going to address that in a minute. But it was, it was wrong. But rather than admit that they were wrong because of their supreme arrogance or possibly because of their biblical weakness, I don't know which, it has to be one of the other. They have allowed all of our people to leave. And then we are being accused of being evil. So, I am protecting our people and our reputation today. Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 51. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth... I tell you, nay, but rather division. So, one of the reasons that the school board gave was we need unity. Someone called in. I can't remember his name. I believe his name Keller. Is that right? Is that the name? Keller? Called in and said that, that the Holy Spirit had spoken to him and that, um, that he was afraid that there was going to be a spirit of disunity and that they needed to trust Jesus and trust the school board. And Diana Tennant made it very clear, we trust Jesus. And the school board needed to trust Jesus. And they don't trust Jesus, so what they did was they endorsed abomination. But notice, we have this whole, this strange idea that there can be unity in Christianity apart from the righteousness of Christ. Jesus never promised to bring unity. Look at what he said he came to give. Suppose ye that I am come to give peace on earth, I tell you nay, but rather division. For from henceforth there shall be five in one house divided, three against two, and two against three. The father shall be divided against the son, and the son against the father, the mother against the daughter, and the daughter against the mother, the mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. What is Jesus saying? When people choose to follow me, they will be divided from people who do not follow me. And here's the amazing thing. It's always the people that don't want to follow Jesus that have to separate from us. Because we're not going to stop following him. But this idea that we can have unity as Christians apart from what Christ wants, that's not Christian. Okay, so let's keep going. Look at Matthew chapter 10. What, what are we doing? We're bringing the Christ. We're going to worship the Christ of Christmas. There are a lot of people that are going to sing songs about Jesus, but they don't have any idea who he is. So let's, let's inform people about who he is. Matthew chapter 10, and look with me at verse 34. 
Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. See, if we can't have unity in our home over Christ, we certainly can't have unity in institutions apart from Christ, or or in institutions that don't want to follow Christ. (laughs) Amen? So this is the Christ of the Bible. But, but remember, in these meetings, they kept calling for unity. They kept calling for unity. Well, we can have unity around Christ, and I believe Nathaniel Tennant said that to them, that we can have unity around Christ and around righteousness, but we can't have unity around immorality. Look at, Matt, look at Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Why did Jesus come? He tells us. We don't have to guess. We don't have to create a Christ that is not the Christ of the Bible. Mark chapter 2, and look at verse 17. When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So what did Jesus come to do? He came to call sinners to repentance. You know, people talk about Jesus being a friend of sinners. Well, praise God. How many of you are thankful that Jesus Christ loved you enough to die on the cross and save you? But he also says, go and sin no more. He doesn't pat you on the head and tell you you're okay. And then expose children to the debauchery. Luke chapter 5 and verse 32. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to, what is that word? Repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is an acknowledgement of your sin and a turning away from it. Is that what the Christian school did here? No. No. Mr. Dre, that is not what you did. This is not a rumor. Look at Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10 and verse 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus Christ loves us so much, he died for us. One of the reasons that the school board gave for not standing against this was that they were afraid of a lawsuit. Well, number one, that's a silly fear because they have in their, uh, in, their, in their bylaws that this behavior is not to be tolerated, all right? So they said that they couldn't do it because there's no policy. Well, that's bureaucratic speak for, I, for we are not against sin. That's, that's what that is, and we're not going to stand. Secondly, there are... Um, so number one, they did have a policy against it. Number two... There are hundreds of Christian organizations that will defend the school in court. So that's a silly argument. Number three, if the world falls, 
Our hope is sure. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. We don't have to have a building to serve Jesus. Amen? What is Christian? What would Christ do? Christ gave his life a ransom to serve. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to give our lives for Christ. Not worry about the building. Let's go on. I still want you to be careful not to mark up the walls. Um, Look at Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And look at verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Now remember, he's, he's quoting Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Let me just tell you something. Somebody that's wrapped up in this homosexual lifestyle, they need deliverance. That's what Jesus wants to give them. But not if they don't want to be delivered. Deliverance to the captives um, and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Now, let me, let me say something very clearly. Um, the, the school board did make it very clear in the meeting with our church people that they are opposed to homosexuality. They are sincerely committed to the inerrancy of Scripture. They have the right statement and the wrong practice. Amen? All right. Let's look at the next passage. John three seventeen. Why did Jesus come? For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why Jesus came. He wants them to be saved. And that would be our desire for all of the people involved in this, if they are not. Then look at uh, John chapter 6 and verse 38. So this is what Jesus came to do. And we as Christians, this is what we must do. John chapter 6 and verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And so the school board, if they are Christian, they ought to do what Christ would have them do. And what Christ would have them do would be to reject immorality. That's what Christ would have them do. Uh, Verse 39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. He wants them to be saved. You, you get saved by acknowledging Christ and rejecting sin. Acknowledging your own sin. That's what salvation is. Amen? It's repentance. You have to repent to be saved. And that is not the message that was given. Then look at um, verse 39 again. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose none, but raise it up again at the last day. How are people raised at the last day based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that, that the prince of this world is judged by Christ's sacrifice on the cross? Look at John 10 and verse 10.
The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Abundant life is not the toleration of sin and the endorsement of sin. Our freedom and liberty comes from righteousness. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Look at John chapter 12 and verse 46. I am come a light into the world. Whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save it, but to save the world. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. The Bible's very clear on all of this behavior. The, the Bible's very clear. Don't endorse the works of darkness, but reprove them. And smiling and allowing someone to give an affront to, to biblical morality at a Christian event? No. So-called Christian event. That's not light. That's not righteousness. John chapter 18 and verse 37. What are we talking about? Worshiping the Christ of Christmas, the antidote to worldliness. John 18 and verse 37. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. Look at this. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. One of the problems that we have as um, Americans is we don't know what it means to have a king. So I, I'm, you know, I'm preparing a class to teach on the preservation of Scripture at a, at a college, and uh, I was looking at the a presentation about the Hampton Court Conference, and that's where King James called for the um, for, for the, produ the production of the King James Bible, the authorized version. And so I, I, I watched a video where they were showing. The, there at Hampton Court Palace where it took place, and how the people that came in to present to the king, they had to kneel before him. They had to look down. They weren't allowed to look at him. Their hands had to be folded in a certain way. And then when they left, they couldn't make eye contact with him, and they, they, they could never turn their back on the king. Now, how many of you would have a real problem doing that to a man? Why? We're Americans. We have no king but Jesus. Amen. I'm not bound to anybody except Jesus. Are we really bowing to Jesus? Is he the king? Now, the reverence that those in the king's court in England had for that king, how many of you think that we as believers ought to have at least that much reverence to our Savior? That's not what's happening in modern Christianity. They are creating a Christ that is not the Christ of Scripture. Um, let me give you a couple of the arguments they made. I'll make a few comments and we'll be done. There is a lady named Kalinda Crawford. And Kalinda, I hope you're watching this. One of the statements that was made was that this girl was a flamboyant homosexual. And several of our people used the word flamboyant. And they were mocked for all using the same word. Well, that is the word that is used to describe flamboyant homosexuals. 
How many of you, those two words go together often in your thinking, right? Number two, well, if you're all from Grace Baptist Church, the Bible says I would that you all speak the same thing, so I'm kind of proud of you since you all said the same thing. So she probably doesn't know that verse, Kalinda, that is in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Then she said, I'm from New York City, and I have been around, and this is a paraphrase of what she said, uh, I, was in, I was around uh, homosexuals, and th- these ladies hit on me. And uh, so this girl, I've seen flamboyant. This is not flamboyant. Kalinda, I'm sorry that you are so desensitized to abomination that this was not a pre- offensive to you. Uh, I am sorry that that is your spiritual state. Then, because of, I brought up her appearance, this girl's appearance with hair, listen to what Kalinda said. Well, what about women in Paris? Now, my desire is to answer the fool according to her folly. That is a foolish thing to say. And I don't know if you intended it to be funny, if that's the case, so be it. If you think that's a good argument, I again wonder about your ability to identify evil. Your mockery of our people is heard and understood for what it is. Again, that is Kalinda Crawford. The head of the board, Andrew Rogers, just kept bringing up policy and fear of litigation. Um, I believe it was Mr. Rogers. Uh, Mackenzie, is it him that came in and laid hands on Mr. Dre because of threats against him, laid hands on because of threats, implying that Grace Baptist Church has threatened? Um, Now, again, I'm not saying that you named Grace Baptist, but since we were the people bringing the charges... You accused us of spreading rumors. These are not rumors. They are facts. Mr. Rogers, you have accused us of threats. We have threatened no one. We have withdrawn. We, we tried to hold you accountable, but you refuse to, be, to behave as a Christian. You are behaving as a worldly bureaucrat. You are behaving as one of the councils in the Bible. And those councils always, every council in the Scriptures is they, they, they unite to find bureaucratic ways to stand against God and God's people. And Mr. Rogers, that is you. That is you. They said that they were caught unprepared and unaware, but they had two days' notice. They were, they were made aware that this was going to happen on Sunday, and by Tuesday they said that they were unaware. They said that the meeting with our people was not an official board meeting, they were answering as individuals. But when, Andrew, when Nathaniel Tennant confronted Mr. Dre, they said, don't talk to Mr. Dre, talk to the board. So which is it? Are you a board or are you not? You are not Christian. I'm not saying you're not saved. What I'm saying is you're not a Christian board because you are clearly in opposition to Christ. Um, I could give more of their statements, but let me close with this. What is our answer? What, this consumerism, there's nothing wrong with consumerism until our choice comes into, well, I want more than one wife. 
I want more than one gender. I want more than one uh, form of marriage. You see, we're not allowed to make those choices. God has defined those things for us. Amen, Grace Baptist Church? How is the modern world hearing this? God came to save men. And one of the problems with Christianity, if we, and and honestly, I think many of the people on the board, they did not want to offend this girl and her friends because they want to reach her with the gospel. But our goal is not to reach people with the gospel. Our goal is to recruit people to sing in the choir praising him. You see, our job is to lead people to Christ. But our primary job is to bring glory to God in the way we bring people to Christ. And we can only do that by confronting sin and identifying sin for what it is, not endorsing it. In the consumer-driven world, the customer is always right. You walk into a church and assume that it will be made to your taste. And so... Christianity becomes shallow, compromised, and thoroughly weak. The Bible says that righteousness begins at the house of God. And the important thing for us to understand is the school is not the church, and the reason this can happen is there's not a pastor there. Can I say it again? The reason this can happen is you don't have a pastor, and you are certainly not submitting to the Scriptures. Let's finish with this. Go to, go to Proverbs chapter 8. Look at verse 33. This will be my admonition to the school board and to all of us. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. Blessed is the man that heareth me. This is wisdom speaking. Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Amen? Amen. We love the Lord. We love the life that he brings and the abundant life that he brings. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to worship Christ. To be a Christian is to follow Christ. This is the Christ that came. This is what Christ came to do. This is the Christ that we represent. This is the Christ that we stand for. And... I understand that Mr. Dre has already talked about us in a, in a school setting, and maybe he didn't name us by name, but since we are the largest church participating in all of these things, that, are, that we are the ones that are being, these things are being implied about. And just don't, don't imply anything, Mr. Dre. If you want people to understand our position on this, give them this message. This is the official statement of Grace Baptist Church. Is this the weirdest Christmas message in history. Let's worship the Christ. Let's all stand together. Let's worship the Christ of Christmas. Amen? Let's worship the Christ of Christmas. Now, here's the deal. We love those people over there, and I want you to understand that our people, many of them resigned in tears. They don't want anything bad to happen over there. That's because they're more gentle than me. I would just assume the place closed down because it does not have a reason to exist. At least take Christian out of the name. That is me, not our church folks. 
I asked all of you earlier if you're born again. If you're not, if you're not saved, all of this language, it might seem so strange to you. But here's the problem. We are sinners. And the only way that we can be saved is to acknowledge that. And then as a Christian church, we have to have Christ as our king. Christ as our head. And myself as pastor, I have to feed and protect the flock. That's what we're doing today. And all God's people said, let's sing this together.